Hello and welcome to Founders Unplugged. I am your host, Greg McCallum, also known as the pay-as-you-scale commercial advisor and fractional CCO uh, and angel investor. Um, before we start, just wanted to let you know all these conversations are you know, completely voluntary by the founders who are involved. So please give them some love. They're, they're very busy individuals and they're taking two hours, up to two hours out of their day to come and sit and chat with me about themselves, about their businesses and about all other kinds of stuff. Uh, so it's a bit of fun. It's a, you know, a bit of a uh, an experiment um, and uh, really enjoyed the sports so far. So thank you so much. But do show them some love. Look in the uh, description uh, on whatever platform you're watching this and you will find links to them for their LinkedIn profiles and also the projects and the startups they're working on. So do go and check those out. And while you're at it, maybe give me a bit of love too. Um, I do this as something on the side to my main business. I run a company called ThinkWork, um, like I said, where I am the commercial advisor and fractional CCO. Um, and so if you're looking for any advice, I also do free uh, commercial advice um, for those for, for one hour, up to one hour. Uh, but uh, that, that, that job allows me to do this so i guess you could say in some ways think work is sponsoring this episode um but uh look thank you so much uh enjoy the episode please do um show love and appreciation for them and of course for this episode if you enjoy it like it subscribe share all that sort of stuff comment below that lets the algorithm know that you're engaging with it and maybe you can suggest um some people that uh, should be on the show that'd be great to have them on um and they can also uh use the form in the description to apply as well um so yeah without further ado i've talked long enough enjoy the episode thank you bye-bye founders unplugged hosted by greg mccallum somewhat mesmerizing um yeah it's good although i was kind of hoping um for the dancing and stuff well so, we could still do some of that you know you never know <laughs> there's no there's no reason why not um good um sorry if i'm chewing on something i was hoping to have eaten it by the time you joined but um i, I had uh, to put a lozenger in because of i've already recorded one episode today oh wow and then and then i had a meeting before that and after that so i'm trying to keep my voice from cracking, but it does sound like I'm going currently going through puberty late. Um, so, but I'm sure we'll manage. We'll be fine. Um, yeah, uh, I, my my voice when I hear it back sounds like it doesn't sound like it when I listen to it myself. But when I hear it back, it sounds like I haven't gone through it yet. That's how right. it sounds to me. So yeah, I've got my coffee. Good as a uh, as promise. Yeah, I've got <laughs> I've got bottled tray bake or something apparently they're what giving this away so this is a so it's liberation day in guernsey on tuesday so channel islands right. were occupied during the second world war and so every mm. year on the ninth so we've got a really long bike holiday this weekend we've got like a four-day weekend but mm. as part of that for some reason obviously you know strong relationship to do with your occupation uh credit suisse are sponsoring like uh giving this thing away for so you can make cake or cupcakes or something with your kids there you go right yeah because that's how they won the war right <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly well, it does look um, good. <clears throat> yeah well no look, so, um, that's sorry go yeah ahead. no no god so I, I know you were recording so we, i guess we started yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so this is what i was going to explain like um i kind of gave you a, a, a small overview of this when i messaged you but we've obviously spoken yeah. before but um very briefly but um, yeah, so but this is uh, the idea of this is to be a little bit more laid back than you know most 
podcasts, whatever you want to call them these days. I'm not in here to interview anyone. Um, this isn't about that. It's more of a, a conversation. Um, so yeah, we've started. Um, but I suppose the one formal element to it is something of an introduction, right? Otherwise, it, yep. it would be a complete mess. Um, so um, so I, I think what might be useful is for you to, anyone that's listening or watching, um, for you to just maybe say a bit about who you are and what it is that you do. I think that might be a good, at least the, the, one, the one formal bit of this, this entire uh, conversation. <laughs> Um, okay, so I won't do the like the full history, but basically, I'm a venture capital investor. Uh, I describe my, I, I describe myself as sole partner at Unbundled VC, um, but really, it's just me investing my own money that I've been fortunate enough to earn over the years. Uh, and I've done quite a bit in AI. I was sort of did a master's in AI back in 2001, okay. uh, and really, really, the way that I sort of generated the wealth I'm fortunate to have at the moment is through sort of primarily through building systematic trading systems on on financial markets. Um, and yeah, it's just me and I go out and I talk to as many founders as I can. I try and generate as good deal flow as I can. Uh, and then I try and invest as well as I can. I try and help as much as I can. Mm. Uh, there's always a bit more to it than that, but that's the that's the simple answer. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, given that this is a more relaxed type thing, should I be throwing more randomness into the kinds of things that we're talking about as well do whatever 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 feels natural in the in the moment wonderful that sounds good to me <laughs> yeah whatever feels natural in the but look I, I think it's really interesting to speak with you because um like i said like i mentioned we have spoke briefly once before i think it was when you wanted to to pick my brains a little bit on uh, marketplaces wasn't it um yep but we, we spoke initially and that's how we connected and um and your name is is you know you're being quite active on linkedin now and uh, you know your name gets thrown around in a positive way don't worry quite a lot but i think what 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 interested me about us speaking as well is that there is a lot of mysticism associated with yeah. investors and vc and and so maybe we can we can uh we can demystify it somewhat i don't know so uh yeah i don't know tell it tell, tell, what is it about i mean you said you won't go massively into your background but what is it that led to this like there must be a story there right beyond beyond just i you know i, I did fairly well in my career you know what what drove you to this this path totally there's a story about it um and so i think with what i was doing before i've never really done any investing i've never focused on investing i focused on effectively trying to generate as much money as possible right the thing i call like sort of income wealth ratio if mm. the income wealth ratio is high enough you should be sort of almost exclusively focused on the income uh and not thinking about like what you should be doing with your investments or certainly not spending too much time on it mm. uh and what i was doing before stopped and so i was left with fortunate to have money but i wasn't earning any money anymore and i was like right well i need to spend some time figuring out what i'm gonna do with that uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was exploring lots of different options. I got introduced to some angel groups and then got sort of invited to be advisor and then partner at a small VC out here in Jersey. And I just, I just found it super interesting and thought there were ways to, if you get good, to potentially earn outsized returns. I think public markets are really hard, right? Most professionals don't beat public markets and therefore to believe that you can do that as an amateur when most professionals can't, Pretty unlikely um mm. probably if you're doing it and you're winning that's great but you're probably kidding yourself actually you probably got lucky uh and so i was like actually find somewhere where you've got a chance to beat the market see if you can get good at that 
plus it's just like the most interesting thing to do ever uh, as well yeah. so hopefully yeah. it's a good decision from like an invest from like where i'm putting my money to work but also it is like you know meeting founders all the time hearing what mm. they're up to what they want to do how they want to change the world in some way and then like figuring out that like crazy problem of like what the hell should i invest in as well like both sides of it i just find really interesting yeah no i agree like that's why i love doing what i do which is you know there's obviously some crossover i'm an angel investor as well as an advisor and um yeah it's hearing the pitches or just just hearing the journeys and and yeah the the, the, the big plans and the passion like all of it so like it's just really it's infectious isn't it like totally it rubs off on you you know it's a it's energizing it means that every like in some ways like most days are the same you meet someone they tell you something whatever but they're all different right yeah everyone's yeah. doing something different you can probably learn something from every single person that you meet as well right? if doing, yeah. if, whether it's like about investment or whether it's you've learned something about an industry that you didn't understand before mm. and usually that information can be taken into another industry as well right because there's there are similarities mm. sometimes so yeah it's yeah, I've, really, I really the, the amount of times I've been in conversations, I'd be like, really, there's a market for that? That's amazing. Like, that's really cool. I never thought about that. And then suddenly, you know, the conversation goes off the rails. It may, you, Again, like you said, you start applying it to other things. And, you know, I, I noticed as well, there's always a lot of, syne um, not synergy, that's the word I'm looking for. Like, um, that I start noticing patterns as well in conversations where like, you know, a conversation I had yesterday with someone somehow relates to this conversation I'm having today with someone and like this keeps happening. And so I'm referencing a lot of conversations with other founders with founders and there's, and you know, then the next thing I know I'm making introductions and you know, that I love all that too. There's almost like um, uh, a bit of like, um, uh, what's the word? Like being a bit of Cupid. You know, in the business sense that I like to, you know. I love that. And I think one of the things I know that's happened a bit, because as you know, I do this kind of building in public, investing in public thing, where as much as possible, mm. I'm as open about everything that I do. Now, obviously, there are limits on that. If someone doesn't want it to be public, then I'll always respect that. Of course. Don't have yeah, yeah. With it. But I've had like quite a few occasions where people have gone, oh, I saw this person you were talking to, uh, and actually I went and met them, and we had a really interesting meeting, and we might be going to do some business together. Or yeah. someone's like, oh, a couple of people hit me up to to put, have potential investment conversations because they they saw that. So I love the fact that actually, apart from me having to write that post every day, which you know I've got selfish reasons to do as well, uh, there's also some like serendipity that comes from that. Just some frictionless serendipity that that comes from that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, no, I, I I totally see that, and and it's something that um I I recognised very early on that you were doing that I really admired, and and especially the level of commitment to to being consistent with it, um is pretty impressive. I just wanted to really quickly share your LinkedIn profile, if that's okay, because as we're on the topic of LinkedIn and so on, like um so that people who are watching um can can go and check it out. And yes, you like you said, you do this. What you're referring to this is, is today I this hashtag today I post that you do every single day. Um, and sort of summarize your, your day's activity, which I think is really good. And again, it's that whole thing of like demystifying the, the investment space, which I think people appreciate too, that it's not, it's not like some some wizardry going on behind the scene. You are just a guy <laughs> who's, who's cracking on and getting it done and, and, and working hard like, to make it happen. And so. And I think it's, I think one thing I believe is helpful for founders is they just, if they see how many people you are, like you have to say no to the vast majority of people, right? Yeah. If they see how yeah. many people you actually meet, I think it's quite helpful for them to go, you know what, this isn't personal. 
right you yeah. do it is genuinely like the it's the it's the bit that i like the least about my job is that i basically spend like a lot of time saying no to people mm. so um but yeah hopefully it's it's helpful in that way but the demystifying thing you know i there's not actually any rocket science going on we're just trying to figure it out as well we're imperfect human beings as well we're like trying to figure out what's the absolute best way that we can invest our money in the way that's consistent with our beliefs and sometimes we get that right and sometimes we get that wrong and we're like completely human uh and sometimes some people go get upset that oh i always get like bad things from vcs or this or this or this and it's like well actually every single one's got a limited number of things it can invest in right if they yeah. gave you money there's someone else upset that they didn't get the the money from as well i think the other mm. side that people don't see and i don't have this uh because it's just you know fortunate enough to have my own money to invest is that if you are in a firm those funds also spend like half the time out raising money from their investors oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it's and, a con it's a constant chicken and egg type uh oh, yeah. circular thing isn't it yeah and they're always also getting punched in the face with no's from the vast majority of people that they speak to as well yeah, right? so, so they've uh, got to let it out on someone right uh, well yeah they, <laughs> my feeling is they ought to have a bit more and most people ought to have a right. bit more empathy for founders given that they they sit on the other side as well trying to do exactly the same thing getting a lot of no's there as well yeah um i, I think there's always there's a power imbalance right uh and so I think that's one of the things that some causes such I be careful how I phrase this because lots of friends in the venture industry, but I think people <laughs> sometimes aren't could give more care to how they treat founders. And it probably my experience is it's not actually that hard to do it. Um, yeah. it you know, you just have some very simple things that you do and you make it's not just doing them you make sure you do them on the day that you say you're going to do them uh, and if you can't you say sorry i couldn't do it today i'm going to get back to you tomorrow or the or the day after none of this is rocket science um yeah I and mean, we got a bit into uh, slightly off topic here but um no but i yeah. think it's a, it's a valid thing because like i suppose that's a problem that happens at scale with with most industries right you look at any any industry any business within that industry that starts scaling the personal the attention to detail that the, the personal touch the customer essentially suffers um as a result i mean what you're talking about there for me i instantly think of recruitment right and how how when you start working um, if, if you're looking for employment and you're 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 going through an employee uh, recruitment agency that's large scale you're probably going to be treated like shit like you said they're, they're probably going to not follow up on these so they're going to send you stuff you may not even hear back if you've got the job or not whereas you go to a smaller firm or an agency you're more likely to get that personal touch and be treated with respect so it, it's a problem with scale like when when organizations scale that's when the wheels tend to start falling off right which is always yeah. a bit of a problem when it and, and the first thing to suffer is the customer experience like generally speaking so it's no surprise that that happens in vc too because they're an organization like the rest of us right and, and it's that whole thing that you say founder, founders which is very true which is do things that don't scale when you start right so you start mm. by doing things that don't scale and then when you have to scale it's like how do i remain true to my commitment to customer service and people try and yeah. do are businesses that try and do it as much as possible but it is hard right and i understand that it's hard so mm. for me the way i see it and i'm small right i'm smaller than a small vc was like i have to basically 
treat every founder like my customer, right? Yeah. Uh, and basically go, I'm their customer. They have to want to deal with me, right? Mm. They have to want to come to me and want to go, actually, I would like to, even if I had all the choices in the world, I would like to have Mark involved somehow, right? Look, and yeah. I'm, not there, I'm not there yet, but that's what I'm trying to achieve, right? Just to go, actually treat people the right way. And by treating people the right way, they'll actually want your money. And then you basically, the, the bit of, oh, you're small, to a certain extent, falls away. Of course, they're always going to want like a A16Z or a Sequoia or whatever with their enormous checks and the brand and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not under any illusions here. Uh, but <laughs> as, as, as much as is possible, given, you know, what I do. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I, I, I don't know if there's any data on this, but I'm sure there must be somewhere that it's a bit of a no-brainer that if you if you get on well with your investors, if you have a certain amount of respect for them, if you treat each other correctly, is the business not more likely to succeed to some degree? Like there must be some correlation there, right? Because if it, I, I've seen a lot of businesses fail through founders being so stressed by the pressure that their investors have put on them. Um, and yet I've seen a lot of successful founders who have great relationships with their, and that's obviously completely anecdotal. There's no evidence to back that theory up. But um, yeah. I mean, I mean, surely if you feel supported and feel like you're in good hands from the individuals that are giving you money, that's going to motivate you, you to want to give that money back a lot more. Um, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't I know do if that makes sense. sense. I think I think you ought to be motivated anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like hopefully, for you own enough of the business that you're motivated and you're doing something that you want to do. Yeah, um, yeah. I do think your job as an investor is to support where you can, not to direct. Um, actually, listen mm. to a podcast with um, John Coker of Eco Ventures, who I've invested alongside in in runner and on his podcast he said something really interesting they're like what do you do how do you like best support your founders and he's like actually often the best way i support them is i get out of the way mm, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's like mm. actually it's not your job to tell them what to do your job is to support if they want advice you get they get advice but it's their job to make those decisions and that and you know they should be able to make those decisions better than you the stress mm. piece i think there are definitely cases where investors can't be aren't as supportive as they should be and they have got their own objectives they want another raise now because you know it's they need that uptick in maybe the founder goes i want that i, I want to raise in six months time or a year's time i don't need to raise yet everything's going great but they want to raise now because there'll be an uptick in their portfolio uh, and that means it's easier for them to raise their funds next time right there's all sorts of other sort of hidden motives that can sit there. Yeah. Um, and the same with down rounds, right? Uh, but I would also say that it's probably also a correlation with some sort of correlation with, with stress and when the business isn't going so well. Uh, and so mm. at that point, it can be challenging for everybody. It's easy to, it's easy to be supportive when businesses are going well. Uh, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, this isn't going well. This is what you should do. This is what you should do, right? I can see how that happens, even if it's not the right behavior. Yeah, and and there's a lot to be said for when thing when times are tough, and times will get tough. Like there's there's no business on the planet that doesn't experience tough times um, on occasion. Um, there's something to be said for how your team reacts in that situation, and and when I say team, uh, you know peripheral included. 
so investors and, and and unfortunately all too often the reaction is panic and 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 that just contributes to the issue like you said it doesn't serve the overall goal it's just, when it when it needs to be more supportive ideally what yeah. would you sorry go on. <coughs> i was just going to ask while um while I, <laughs> between coughing bits, sorry, it's not very um, enjoyable to listen to. What between, um, what would you say are like some things about, because you touched on a few like things there, like to do with with when behind the scenes that, that there's some, there's some uh, various factors that might be um, motivating investors to make certain decisions. What would you say are some of the most like misunderstood elements or or, you know, unknown elements of uh, VC or, or investing in general that like you think the public should or you know that the, the, the founder public should probably be enlightened to I mean I think it is that probably there's three parts to your business and we talked about one of them which is actually also you've got to go out fundraising and the other side is sort of operations stroke regs right the you actually have to spend a lot of your time on the non-pretty stuff as well and the bit that people are aware of is the Oh, you go out and talk to lots of people and try and figure out who to invest, and that's the glamorous yeah. piece, right? That is the yeah. glamorous piece, right? You've got, to, you've got to do all the other shit as well, right? So I don't know whether yeah, yeah. with language on this podcast, but I'm I'm assuming that's okay. Oh no, it's, uh, yeah, no, whatever you want, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. So um, <laughs> I think in terms of the bit the general public miss is that they don't realise there's all that other stuff to do as well, and and actually, yeah, you know, it does mean even if you're like the best person at investing in the world. You make a bigger impact if you can raise more money and put more money to work right you are putting mm -hmm. capital into the right place to support the right businesses at the right time you can genuinely make a, a bigger impact if you do all that stuff and obviously you have to like any business you have to operate well if you don't everything falls apart so yeah. it's like it's the the bits that people don't understand is actually the, the kind of boring unglamorous bit that that sits there as well so so like take me through that so let's say i applied because the way you work is you have an application process on your your, your website, yeah. which is pretty pretty common these days. Um, and I believe like a video pitch you asked for as well, yeah. which I really like. I think that's, yeah, I, I really like that because I think that, that, that not enough um, processes include that and it's all reliant on the pitch deck, which I just think completely baffles me. It's like, that's such a, just, just one picture. Like, don't you want to know about the founder? Anyway, um, so yeah, take me through the process. I apply for that, I fill out, I give you the information what are you doing from that point on like what's what's your process from then so i want to explain why this is my process first and why i do the video pitch which is yeah that, sure and, I thought, and someone tweeted this they said um it was uh pitch decks get meetings founders get funded right and it's a cliche but yes. it's it's a, it's a cliche <laughs> but it's also true and the question <laughs> then if you're an investor is is that pitch deck actually your a good first filter or not right now it's certainly a frictionless first filter because everyone's got one right uh and so you're not asking anything new of anybody but i don't think it is a good first filter for figuring out how good a founder is to a certain extent the business but not for figuring out how good a founder is and that's yeah. why i do the video pitch because you can get a feel for how good a founder is and then you go well okay i'll take the right meetings um so you do that and then I will, I will try and take as many meetings as I can, actually, with founders. But it will depend on what my diary looks like. So the volume of, of volume of people coming in, do I have a lot of meetings, et cetera. Uh, then I'll go, okay, given the, the holes in my, like, the space in my diary, I'll take this number of meetings, you know. So there's a bit of randomness in there, right, which is not yeah. really fair on founders, but it's still real in terms of whether you get 
whether you get a meeting or not. Mm. Um, and then I will, I say I'll do it within two days, and I try and two business days, I try and do it the next business day, is go back to them and say, here, here's a calendarly link, go book into my diary, right? Mm. Um, so they'll book into my diary and I'll say, and, and then we'll meet, right? We'll meet, we'll have a half an hour call, Sometimes it overruns. I always make sure there's a gap and room for overrun if you do. Uh, and then again, I will go, okay, I will get back to you within two days of that. Well, actually, what I say is I'll get back to you before I go to bed two days later, and I'll allow that to leak into the weekend if two days later is a, is a Friday. Uh, but, so so what, what's happening in that meeting? So is that is that a meeting where you expect them to pitch you? Do you are they presenting? Is it more informal? Like, you know, how, how is that structured? So the structure beforehand, I say, send the pitch deck, but I'm only going to skim it beforehand because this is actually for me all about hearing it in in, in your words. It's reference material rather than core material for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I start with a very quick summary of me to just give them some context. I'll try and make it no more than a minute just because they're there to pitch their business. Then yeah. I, what I want to hear is their background and a little bit about how it led them to what they're doing today then we have an organic conversation about the business because i'm trying to figure out as much about the person as i am about the business so i want to yeah. hear that journey i want to I'm, I'm almost listening through what they're saying as well as listening to what they're saying yeah so yeah. i want to hear that journey i want to hear how they got to that point i want to hear how how did they figure out this is the problem that they wanted to be solved how did they figure out this is a real problem how does the product look different today to how it what you thought it would on on day one right all those kinds of things are just as interesting to me as what the product is and what it's doing now and you know how big this could be now those things obviously are also, and how you're going to get there. and those things obviously are important mm. but i'm starting with those things that specifically i'm doing so i can try and get a strong feel for founder strength so I know what I'm looking for and I'm asking the questions that for me so far are the best ones that I've found to figure out whether those people have what I'm looking for. Right. So that's interesting because I, I, I fully agree with you, but we, we sound like we have very similar approaches in, in, in that sense. And I think what the reason why that appeals to me, at least, and, and maybe it does for you, too, is that you're, you're interested in a founder that has the ability to tell a complete narrative right um because if they have the ability to tell the narrative with a beginning middle and end which are often that i find as well founders seem to start in the middle for some reason right it's always that thing that they're so keen to tell you the ending is that they, they sort of rush through the beginning part and um but 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 the, the benefit of, of i think seeing someone with the capability to tell a complete well-paced narrative beginning middle end not skipping anything not rushing anything I think it shows the ability to to then repeat that and replicate that in a larger setting in a business to sell that uh, vision to others to find the right talent right it just it just says a lot about i think the ability for that person to communicate and to yeah. have a well-rounded vision that does take its time to an extent to think about how it needs to make sense from point a to point b to point c so it, for me, it's almost like this cognitive ability that it's expressing beyond just giving you that information that you also want to, to have context. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. It's, totally, it's basically, yeah, the telling a story is like strongly related to the ability to sell, 
right? Which yeah. is just such yeah. a key skill and a, and a, and a founder. Um, it's probably the thing I've posted about the most that it's the key skill and the founder. It's probably the thing yeah. that is probably most often missing, actually. And you can tell that it's missing. Yeah. Um, we, we, so, we've agreed on this very heavily in the past, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Because I, yeah. I, I speak, I've spoke about this, and I still speak about this quite, quite a lot. Yeah. And so you've got to be able to sell to investors. You've got to mm -hmm. be able to sell the actual product, and you've got to be able, to, as you say, persuade people to come and work for you. Right? This company might not exist in a year or two. Right? You've got to sell them on we're going to do this incredible thing, and they've got to buy into that those people. So you want to be able to hire those people that shouldn't really want to come and work for you but they still want to come and work for you will just make a huge difference to your yeah. thing and yeah. so it very explicitly looks at and then the other things that i'm looking for specifically because i'm asking about that path i'm asking how they ended up there how that thing got different is that kind of decision making ability and how they go about doing it so i'm hoping to pick that up as well it's quite hard actually to pick mm -hmm. that up in, in those things so when you don't pick it up it doesn't mean that they don't have it because mm. sometimes can be hard to find it with the right questions and yeah. the other thing that you have for is that sort of resilience tenacity again it can be hard to figure out whether someone has that or not but sometimes you can hear it and it is there it doesn't mean mm. that it's not there when you don't when you don't hear it but those are the other things that i'm looking for i'm trying to listen out for they are, I wouldn't say I've nailed how to figure out whether someone has one of those, but sometimes you hear someone's story and you're like, oh my God, that person is just going to find a way to make this happen no matter what. And there's like yeah. numerous proof points in their history where you're like, okay, yeah, I can see that. And often they're unrelated to actually being in a business. There's just yeah. points in there where they're like, yeah, that something shouldn't have happened that did happen in a good way. Yeah, it's funny because I think... Um... One thing I've learned over the years about investors, uh, as well as myself, and, and and especially those in VC, the the skill set required to ascertain whether or not there's an opportunity is so varied that I think it also includes, to some degree, some level of psychoanalysis, right? Where <laughs> you're really having to, like you said, trying to actually listen through what's being said and 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 this, and, and try and determine a personality type. To see if it it fits, you know, with with what you think are the attribute attributes and qualities that make someone um, more likely to succeed, right? But I'm interested because if there, there, there's obviously we we know there's a sort of a bit of a checklist, right, of what it is you're looking for. Um, but there must be versions of, or maybe you've encountered sometimes things that have just completely made you throw that out the window and go, wait a minute, I never even knew that this is what I wanted to see. Do you know what I mean? Like so, something that kind of breaks the mold, or are there maybe certain things that you you know that you can you can sacrifice on that checklist because it's made up for in other areas, or is that quite religious? Um, so I would say, like, there's not a single business and found, like business combined with founder where everything is perfect, right? Yeah. Where you hit every single different thing. And I I posted about this this morning about like consensus. There's a reason not to do every deal, right? Uh, and so when you go, can I remove that thing from my checklist? You know, if, if someone's really bad at sales, like they're clearly really bad, it's probably going to be a no, and and that's just it. But there's oh, really? levels, okay. right? And uh, like if it, for me, yeah, if I don't think they can do it, well, I think someone on the team needs to be able to do it, right? Yeah. One yeah. of the one of the founders has to have that specific skill, because actually the person that's doing the fundraising and the 
you know, is, is the one they're going to come in and go, yeah, you should really come work for us or is in charge of like, you know, leading the sales of, from their product. You know, we talked about founder led sales. That's always what it looks like at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. If the founder that's doing that doesn't have those skills, then yeah, that's a, that, that's, that is actually a must for me. But yeah. every single thing on your list, it's going to be slightly more or less that everyone has it. There isn't a mm. thing where everything hits every mark perfectly. Mm. And so you're weighing up going like, obviously, there are things, there's something you don't like about every single business, right? There's a risk point mm. in terms of it might fail. And of course there is. Otherwise, it would be easy and you'd know, like, which ones are going to rocket up front and it isn't that easy. Um, yeah. So you've got to figure out what's important to you, right? You're always operating. So there's there's two things there. One is what's important to you. And the other one is you're just never, you're always operating under uncertainty, right? So there's just mm. a lot of stuff that you don't know about that you're having to, no matter how much DB you do or client calls or whatever it is, there's bits you either have to take in trust or you're like, I'm never going to figure this out unless I spend three months researching the entire industry or this yes yeah. so you go okay this is enough i've got the things that matter to me and so it's a there are things where you must have this there's a certain minimum level of like everything that mm. you want to see but there's give and take there's definitely yeah. give and take. yeah it's calculated risk right but um yeah well i, I like to come back to the thing we said about um founders and having sales skills but i just remembered i interrupted you as you were explaining your your sequence of events so so yeah yeah that meeting that i'm oh, sorry i just wanted to really delve into that because i think yep. that is something that the listeners because it sounds like we've got a very similar thing and i don't think it's necessarily um like not to i'm not you know shitting on your process but i don't think you're necessarily <laughs> breaking the mold with that in terms of the way most investors tends to a, a, approach that meeting um aside from uh you know maybe with a few exceptions so but i think it's good for people to hear that um, because of, I think that quite often they're not sure what's expected from them in those things. But then, yeah, yeah. so I, I interrupted you there. So, what, so what's your next step? So following, following that? I was just going to say, it's not, I don't think there's anything I'm doing that's, you know, there that's revolutionary. But mm. I think what I am doing is being quite intentional, as in yes. I know what I'm look, looking for. And then I, and I know how I want to treat people. And therefore, what's the process and what are the questions and what's the thing at each stage? That maximizes my chances of both figuring out if people have the things that i'm looking for and um and treating people in the right way so i think the things yeah. that people don't do is they're not that intentional they just go oh i'll take a meeting the associate takes a meeting if they like it enough they go to the partner and say do you want to take a call this and it's not they're trying to figure out kind of second hand does the partner like this is this is thing the partner's going to like etc etc right, right. so it's quite hard to and unless that partner has set it out this is precisely what i'm looking for then it's quite hard for them to do and so you've got this whole thing that most processes of base species look exactly the same i think um and they haven't necessarily got built into them I know precisely what I'm looking for. Therefore, I know precisely what the right things, the right exactly the way that I should go about it. I know that's yeah. unfair on some, but it's definitely there's a whole chunk of them where they go, well, my process just looks like this because obviously that's what everyone else does. Same mm. with recruitment, right? Where there's not that much thought going into I've got a CV, I saw it. Let's just have a, we have an interview and they haven't given that much thought to what the right way is to mm. figure out if this is the right person to hire. It's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. 
next step on the process sorry to come back and go no on. no that no that's interesting we'll pick that up in a moment for sure though but yeah is, uh basically i had the meeting and after the meeting i'll still get back to you within before i go to bed two days time with one of five things a yes and and very occasionally i have gone yes literally after that after that first meeting no. um okay. a no with feedback a can i have some more information can i have another meeting or very occasionally can i have some more time please and they will they know they will hear back from me with one of those things within that period and then again if i meet you will you come back to me with information i am going to make it no more than two days every time before i come back to you unless it's like actually i've gone to ask someone else i've got to do some research it's going to take me more time than that or I'm, I'm, I'm having yeah. a call with someone in my network who knows more about this space than I do, and I'd like their feedback, and that's going to take me a bit longer to, to basically, they told me they can meet me in three days' time, whatever, all those bits. So but I will do my best to like turn everything around as fast as I possibly can, um, because actually there's no reason why I wouldn't do that. There will be sometimes you can't do that, as I just said, but that's what I'm trying to achieve. What I don't want is people waiting when there's no need to wait. Look, the other thing yeah. that I do kind of in my process is I go, because there's always more information you could find out. There's always more checking you can do. There's always more digging you can do, like a hundred other things. And so theoretically, your process could last forever, right? There's, there's always yeah. more that you could do. So the sort of way that I play that in my own head is I go, yeah. if I spent another week or two or had another meeting with this person or spent another week or however long it is doing some research, what do I think the chances are? then my view is going to change, be that a yes or a no, right? Mm. And if I think the chances are that my view is going to change, then you just go and say, right, we stop now. And that stop can be a no, or it can be, or it can be a yes, actually, when you go, yeah, there are like 20 other things that I could go find out about this. <laughs> but if I really think there's only the tiniest chance this is going to change someone's mind, I should just say yes now. And I'd say that applies a lot harder if you think this is going to be a competitive deal right if you think it's going to be they're going to get more money than they need right and you think it's really unlikely that your mind is gonna is gonna change mm -hmm. give them a fast yes and you'll be their best friend and then they'll be like i know this person doesn't mess around and when it comes to it you're much more likely to get into that deal as well and so sometimes you do have to play a game of it's all about like balancing risks when you go invest. Sometimes yeah. you have to go, this is a hot deal. Do I want to be in it or not? Right? Do I want to spend, it might be that perfect would be, I would spend an, an extra week researching it. Mm. But you go, if I spend an extra week before I give them a yes, I'm less likely to get into the deal. And mm. so you go, there's a trade-off there, right? I can accept some more risk for a greater chance of getting into the deal, mm -hmm. or I can accept less risk, but have a lower chance of getting into the deal and so my job is to go on the balance of those risks what's the right thing to do so sometimes you do it doesn't happen that often but you do occasionally have to say yes a little earlier than you would like to have done right. because actually that is genuinely the thing that maximizes your return close off and, mm. and sometimes that will backfire right that there'll be a thing where if you had to spend a bit more time doing research you'd have figured it out and then and then you wouldn't have done it but you do have to trade that against the risk of the really good one that you wouldn't have got into in the first place. And so 
there's interesting things. I can do that because it's just me and go, I'm comfortable with those those risks. It's actually a lot harder for a fund to go do that because they want mm. to go to their client and say, we did this and we did this and we did this and we did this. I think the US funds are better at doing that. They get a hard time for it when something goes wrong. And we've mm. seen a few instances of those things uh, recently. Yeah. Um, actually at the end of the day they're trying to do that same thing where they're going if this is a <laughs> if this, this probably must have seen the picture on the wall behind me that's what it yeah. is uh, when they're and now distracting myself where we're yeah they basically have to go they're a lot better at going sometimes i have to make a fast decision uh, and actually and um, oh there we go we've got we've got a friend Why is my which is really funny because blur, with, the, with the blurred background like he or she keeps just blurring in and out yeah yeah which is that's just actually just people. how he looks that's yeah it's amazing it's genet <laughs> so been genetically modified schrodinger's dog yeah yeah sorry um, that is 100 distracted you know <laughs> um, so uh, yeah i've got no idea so, but basically they get that right so the reason one of the yeah. reasons those things happen in the us and they don't happen in the uk apart from the more developed ecosystem and there's just more money around and all those kinds of things is some of those people are prepared to go i will take that risk if i do need to act fast to go and get into a deal and they understand yeah. that's a balance of risks uh, and i'm even a i'm an lp in a small lp in a, in a us fund and actually in their you know in their risk factors was actually sometimes we will not in order to get into a deal we will have to do move fast and we will not be able to do the level of due diligence that we would like to be able to do and that is a risk factor if you give us money right which i love that there are, that yes you've got to go and find it in the depths of the document whatever but it's still there it's <laughs> yeah. there and they're like actually this is just actually sometimes this is just a part of doing business and a part of a part of the game and uh, and it will backfire every now and again and also, presumably, if you do wait too long, not only do you have a chance, I suppose, of actually being part of that 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 round at all, but presumably that the the chances of you getting a less favourable set of deal terms is also likely as well, right? Because if you're if you're contributing potentially less to the to the to that round, that that, that you may not be getting quite a, a, a as good a deal potentially. Is that, is that right? Or uh so the terms ought to be the same right apart from right, okay. the fact that the, the lead might have a board seat and some rights but from a from you know a financial point of view those terms should be identical uh and if they're not it's a bit of a red it can be a red flag actually right like actually uh and i have passed a deal this year that i was intending to invest in because it was like well any tickets under a certain size don't have don't have it was I can't remember exactly what it was, but let's say they don't have prep rights. Uh, right. and I was like, well, this is you know, yeah, very non standard actually. Mm -hmm. Normally, just everyone is on exactly the same terms. And no, thanks, thanks, but no thanks. Now, look, if it is the absolute best deal in the world, and you're like, actually, I'd still happy to be in this deal if the price was 20% higher or mm. whatever, then you know, you can still, you can still do those things mm -hmm. but it's a red flag i i the only time i've ever uh i've seen one much worse one than that but um yeah <laughs> i think that's important for founders to hear though because i i also have seen a couple and, and rejected a couple on that basis of these very non-standard terms put in as a result of you know ticket size or even um 
even investing later or just after the apparent round, you know, come to an end or closed, right? Um, and I found that baffling to, to hear that founders have wanted to go that route um, to somehow penalize investors in some way through unfavorable terms. Um, and again, I haven't heard it a lot, but I've heard it on occasion and it's uh, it's very bizarre. For me. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, they, they just shouldn't do it. There's no good yeah. reason to do it. Literally, yeah. now look, if a round closes and everyone's told the round will close on another, on a certain date and it does close on that date, and then you say, I'd like to give you some money now, that's a whole new ball game, right? Now yeah. it's a new investment round and you can go, well, okay, everything starts from from scratch again, but everyone in the same land should be in on the same terms. And it's, yeah, it, it's, it's really bad if they're not. Good. Good for people to hear that. Yeah. So, um, all right. So where are we up to on your, on your journey then? So you, you've, um, you've, uh, you've either decided to do your due diligence on my, on my business now at this point or not, which you probably wouldn't yeah. mind because it would, if it was me, it would probably be amazing and you'd want to get straight in there. So then, then what's that? Yeah, of course. So then, what's what's next? I've already wired you the money, actually. So um, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, what's next? So if I commit, so do we want to go to that bit, or are we looking at how I dig and what are the things that I want to know? Where do you want to go now? Up to, well, no, let, yeah. Let, let's let's see how you dig because I think that the due diligence part is definitely a bit for a lot of founders that I think is 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 definitely one of the mysterious elements of it, right? What yeah. what is that? And I know it's maybe slightly different for every investor, um, but there are definitely some standard processes to that, and that would be an interesting one. So yeah, what, what's that? What's your digging section of so, the process like? I would say you can normally get a feel quite early for whether you like a founder or not. So I think one point is follow up meeting, get the co-founders on if you can, right? Yeah. As many of them as possible. You won't always be able to get all of them on, but get them on if you can. Get the key the the ones that you think are the key ones that actually this this is going to make a significant significant difference um because you've probably already decided that that founder is in the first founder is investable or you wouldn't be a, be taking the, the the second meeting so you want to figure out the same about the other founder again with that caveat that probably only one of them needs to have that like sort of killer sales skill which isn't actually necessary for every founder um then you're trying to dig into the business you're trying to find out are they solving a real pain point right a pain point that matters you know a must-have rather than a nice to have and what's the competitive environment look like if are there five other people doing you know something very similar uh you know are if they go well we're different to this do you believe that's something that matters and how do you find out if that's something that really that really matters and you're also mm. trying to get a feel for the potential market size if if everything goes right and so the hardest thing to do are to figure out if it's a option to figure out if it's a real pain point right mm. your result you don't have personal direct experience of that problem right it's it's not that easy right to know yeah. what those things are and so you know they can evidence it in two ways one is you know particularly if they're early they might not have that re much revenue yet so obviously if you're if you've got a business that's going well and it's growing fast you must be doing something right they must love someone lost the product or, or no one will be buying it and it wouldn't be growing that fast and you can you still want to do some digging but to a certain extent the, 
you know, the proof is in the pudding. But yeah. before that, like, well, what do I need to do? Do I need to go and research this industry? Do I need to speak to someone who's working in it? Can mm -hmm. I do a client call? Has the lead investor done a client call, even if I can't? Because you don't want to piss off the clients by then having to take like 10 or 20 calls from different investors. In fact, one thing that I did before that I've done once is uh, I did a client call and I recorded it. Uh, right. And they then they then used that with the, the rest of all their investors, such mm. that when we had like investor drinks after the deal closed, I met one of the people from the leads and they're like, I feel like I've I know you because I've watched that client call like seven or eight times. <laughs> right. uh, that's, a that's, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. That weird. It felt a bit weird. Also, the client's got to be happy with it as well, right? Because it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit un unusual for them. So you've got to find a way to figure out, like, and there's different ways to handle it. Is this a real pain point that someone mm -hmm. is going to want? But I believe as much as possible, someone is going to want to pay for. And are there not like five other people doing? exactly the same thing because if there are you know so what you, what you mentioned sorry go on no sorry i was just going to say what you you've touched on something there with the client call that i am a a so again another topic that i talk a lot about that i'm very passionate about is this idea of client feedback for early stage startups and to, to bake this in as part of the the customer journey from the earliest stages of the business possible I, you know we, we spoke a little bit a minute ago about how you know customer service and the the, the customer centric approach tends to fall off as a company gets bigger and how do you tackle that my belief is that it starts with sales and it ends in the customer success point and that journey needs to be built in and the best way to start that is to be getting feedback from day dot and make a community-led um sort of process for your product ideally or whatever it is you're offering your service so that every element of your business is really wrapped around that community-led approach whether that is through an online community whether that's through feedback uh, regular surveys but i would always say wherever possible pick up the phone whether you're the founder um, and speak to and record these calls like you said you know book meetings with them actually speak with them create and curate a list of very well-defined well thought out questions that really peel back the layers of your client experience good and bad document and keep and make that a scalable process don't just assume that is for early stage and you don't need it anymore once your product is doing well and you're going to scale no that your customer service your customer success should be proactive not reactive wherever possible you shouldn't just have a department that's sitting around waiting for people to get in touch when things go wrong proactively go out there find the problems before they exist you know improve things before you're asked to improve things like you see do you know what i mean and and what i love about that from an investor point of view too is that is data that can be used if you are early stage if you are pre-revenue or pre at least you know um substantial revenue that that data can be used in a deck and like you said why not include some of those call recordings do you know what i mean like how amazing would that be is if you could you know on a on a slide deck have on a pitch deck have links to a, a folder full of call recordings of clients saying good and bad you know balance yep. it feedback like I, that would be amazing you can even embed them nowadays if you're using pitch.com yeah. or something like that you can embed yeah. video and you can do all those sorts of things no i couldn't agree more i think you should just be doing irrespective of the investor side you ought to know the answer to those questions and you exactly. ought to have clients that love you enough that they're happy to take those calls uh, or at least to take one at least to take calls from the potential leads 
Yeah. Um, and then ideally then minimally the lead can go, this was the call and I can share my, I'm happy to share my notes on it. Yeah, um, exactly. So, but yeah, I, I, mean, I think- I should... love that approach uh, for all of the, the reasons that I mentioned and more in the same way that I, I believe it's fundamental that, so that founders um, are skilled in sales in the sense that it applies to so many areas of the business at once that those two things are, I think, so valuable. You know, that the, the, the having that skill of being able to pick up the phone and sell is equally, if not just as important as being able to pick up the phone and ask for feedback. That you you know, that they are two sides of the same coin for me, the beginning of the experience and the end of the experience. Um, and, and I think that's that's fundamental for how you can build and scale a business, in my view. Well, you've got to have a great product that, in order to be able to sell it, right? It's, you know, it doesn't matter yeah, how good it sells you are. Like, there's the old saying, selling ice to the, you know, uh, Inuits. Uh, yeah. And, um, but, you know, it's a... Uh, Although saying that, if you're a very, very good storyteller, you can sell shit too. Like... <laughs> and, and I've met, I've you know? met some incredible ones in, in my mm. life, actually. Mm. Uh, it can be a little dangerous when they're that good sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, they... But yeah, you still have to have a great product. And great product is actually all about talking to a couple and figuring it out. The, the, the number of times someone sits there, there's the famous Steve Jobs story and everyone thinks, oh, wow, I just sit there and I can figure it out and I'll just work out, you know, what that customer needs, even though they don't realize that they need it, right? Like, actually, that's not how it works for, like, like virtually everyone in the real world is, like, yeah. actually, you go talk to them. And you have to understand what is their need, what's the problem you're trying to solve. You don't have to solve it the way they think. They say, oh, can you do this, right? They'll say, can you do yeah. this? What you then want to know is, oh, why do you want me to do that, right? Mm. And then you'll figure out what the problem is they're solving. You may come up with a better way of doing it. Now, obviously, you still yeah. want to talk to them about that. They might hate it. But you know, like, you're trying to figure out what's the problem you're trying to solve. And I yeah. think I did... Um, the YC One Combinator on have an online startup school, right? Which is basically a selection of videos and, and essays. I recommend it to literally every single founder uh, and every single investor should go go do go through it as well. Mm. If they have one single piece of magic in there, right? And obviously there's more to it than just one piece of magic. But if they have one piece of magic, it's the talk to your customers once you've got them, talk to your potential customers before you've got them, understand mm. their problems and figure out if you can build something that actually solves that problem and mm. and then have really fast tight feedback loops exactly yeah. what you said right like if you can talk to them today and build it tomorrow and show it to them tomorrow they go no that doesn't work because of this right like two weeks later you're on like version 14 and you've got uh you've probably got something that they want actually mm. if it takes you like three four weeks every time you're a year in and you still haven't got that far, right? Now, obviously, very extreme examples, but it's like, mm. actually, if you don't talk to them, if you just guess them, if you go, oh, well, if I build this feature on top of it, then everything will be fine. It's yeah. very rarely, oh, there's one missing feature that is the thing that, that makes the difference. So you should constantly be early or later talking to your customers and figuring out mm. what they like, what they don't like, are there any adjacent problems you can solve? So it's the thing I've heard with a couple of my businesses recently. They're like, because they're talking to their customers, they go, it would be really great if you could do this as well. And they've gone, oh, wow, yeah, I can do that. And actually my business yeah. size is now, I think I can do that. My business size, that bit might actually be bigger than, than yeah. the original piece was. And so you find mm -hmm. out there's all these adjacencies of this extra thing 
that I can do, they really want them. Um, the mm -hmm. thing about features, I would say, that is good about them is they're useful once you've got a customer. They can provide locking, actually. Yes. So what happens yeah. is once you've got a customer that's happy, and then they go, oh, could you give me these extra features as well? Mm. If you give them those extra features and they like them, they may not be the killer thing that's the reason they're using your product, but it does make it a lot harder for someone new to come along and go, okay, I can do this for a lower price. They're like, well, yeah, but you haven't got this and this, and I quite like that, right? Yeah. It's, hard, yeah. it's hard to come in, but typically it's like, find the bit that they love, really find the bit that they love and do that really well. Mm. Uh, and if you can't figure out the bit that they love, you probably haven't got, probably haven't got business. So yeah, you haven't got much of anything. Has your has your definition of nice to have versus um, uh, need to have products, or you know, when it when it comes to finding solutions to to problems out in the marketplace, has your definition of that changed in recent years? Given given that now we're in a situation where, I mean, I would personally say we're oversaturated with with solutions in a market that basically hasn't got the money to pay for all of them. Right, people are having to be a lot more choosy about what's in their tech stack. Because, because just to clarify for anyone listening, you 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 predominantly invest in in tech startups, right? In SaaS is, is your your area. So, so That's yeah, not, I mean, yeah, it's it, yes, it's tech startups. It's not always SaaS, but it is tech right. Startups, okay, so. okay, yeah. Um, so the question was, has my definition of what's a good to have versus what's a night to have nice to have changed? Mm. Um. I don't think so, but I think in this yeah. macro environment, you, you, you just, you know, people work their way up and down the scale depending on how wealthy they feel, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when they feel wealthier, they'll have more of the nice to haves. Uh, when they feel poorer, they'll they'll have, you know, less of them and, and be more, I'm only going to keep, keep the I must haves. And so, well, this is it. And this is that's kind of what I was alluding to was I think that for me personally, my definition of must uh, need to have has actually now been divided into many subcategories, um, because if that's really where we're focusing and only on the top end of that, that list, um, which is that can't live without. Right. And so now really, that's what we're looking at, because for a lot of I mean, especially if we're talking B2B, which is, you know, the, the large majority of a lot of um, uh, at least SaaS um, solutions out there. That, that we're in a situation where, you know, like we said, budgets have been entirely slashed, if not completely crippled, um, and and so yeah, that's what they're looking at. They've 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 dumped a large portion of their tech stack, and they're not entertaining any, you know, new new additions to that on the table, unless it's something that they can really see an enormous amount of value in, or is going to be solving a problem that's such a high high level problem that they hadn't even considered or replace something that is legacy within that current sort of echelon of, of, of you know that, that area I just defined right so I mean that, that's at least for me I, yeah I'm just curious if that's that's the sort of similar um, conclusion that you'd come to as well but well, I think there's always that and there's always the higher up the must-have the better it is but in in practice you know in economy like, do we have to have Ubers, right? No, someone could get public transport. Do we have to, there's like a whole load of things. There's, there's a list, right? And in practice, not everything is, I have a roof over my head and I can and I can afford to eat enough food that I'm not gonna die, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like everything is on a sliding scale down from there. So, you know, the-, the and, I, and I suppose, they, yeah. 
sorry, no, I was just going to say, and I suppose from an investing perspective, you're not looking at it as short term as that, right? So you, you're no. not just you're not just looking at this the immediate sense, but also it's a, it's a long term investment. The economy is going to change, and and things will, will be different. The landscape will be very different in five, seven, ten years, right? Yeah, and you're investing over like the best businesses often the ones that take the longest before you get the money out, right? And so it might be ten years. You know, you can have another recession. You can have another boom period over that. You you've no idea where it will be come the exit date. It could be at any of those. Pretty random. Zombie apocalypse. Right. Yeah. Hopefully not that. Uh, do I have a hedge? What's your, what's your hedge against the zombie apocalypse? What did you uh, think? That's a good. That's a good <laughs> Let's just say I've invested heavily in bunkers, uh, in survival tech. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and, a, and a certain biotech company with an umbrella as a logo, but I can't say any more than that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm now not, not I was going to Google it, but I'm not going to distract myself. Um, it's, but it's, the, a video, it's a video game reference. No, don't, don't distract yourself. It'll be a ah, video. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. I've now can't remember where we were in the conversation anyway. No, like, um, that's fine. And that's fine because this is, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think just the point was actually, yeah, you're right. You're investing over a cycle and over a cycle, yeah. things are going to be, you know, everything is going to be, everyone's got more money or everyone's got less money uh and you just want things that are going to be able to fight their way through over the good times and the and the bad times whether today is the good time or the bad time you're going to be in this for and you know unless you're investing like literally pre-ipo you know you're going to be in this thing for a long time and it's got to do well over those over the cycles and so yeah it, it's easy to go today oh i'm only going to invest in this in the same way as it would have been to go two years ago you know, people typically go into extremes, right? And so two years ago, people were in, I just want growth. People now are like, when are you going to be profitable, right? Venture exists for businesses that aren't going to be profitable for a while, right? Uh, that's that's the whole point that bloody industry exists. You know, we were too far one way two years ago, and probably we've gone a little bit too far the other way right now. So... I don't think it's a bad trend, though, to be trying to look at bringing things back down to the fundamentals of business to some degree of, of looking at profitability of, of, of you know, ha healthy cash flow and things. Whereas, you know, we you're absolutely right. There was far too much put on um, uh, put on businesses built on very, very shaky foundations, foundations built on debt, foundations built on you know, uh, yeah, the promise, <laughs> um, and and in some ways, you know, wishful thinking and a, and a prayer, you know, and and uh, you know, I think there was a hard lesson to be learned there in recent years of, of actually um, looking at uh, profitability uh, 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 as as a, as, a, as a much more valuable um, element to business, surprisingly, than it has been in recent years. I don't think that's necessarily a bad shift, even if it is a slight overcorrection in some parts. It will it will probably sort of get to the right place. Okay. I think the, you know, you create value by generating businesses that at scale can be hugely profitable, right? And, and need to be hugely profitable. I think mm -hmm. one of the things that happened is, and typically the standard exit is for the best, these best businesses is they'll exit. Let's say for the best ones is they'll IPO, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, now what happened actually was, this listed market was still giving very high valuations to businesses that were profitable and didn't look like they were going to be profitable. So mm -hmm. investors were going, well, we just give them what they want, right? And so we're going, if we invest here, I think this business in five years time or two years time or three years time, and it was more 
you know, it was all the way down the curve, to be honest, which was kind of crazy because it was never going to stay like that. But what they were yeah. doing is looking at the stock market and going, am I investing in something that can become something that has a high valuation on the on the stock market? Right. Mm. And so in, to, in some sense, I have some sympathy with people that were doing that because they were going, well, actually, my exit point is is there. What do those people want? Uh, and I'm investing in things that give them what they want. Uh, some sympathy there, but at the end of the day, in the long run, you do only have great businesses with high valuations if they, yeah, have, a chance to make, if they yeah. have a chance to make huge amounts of money, right? Your Googles, your Amazons, your Facebooks, your Apples, they make enormous sums of money every year, or occasionally they make less because they reinvest a whole load of it, but that's fine. Yeah. The underlying profitability is there, and then hopefully they're allocating capital well. But yeah, there was definitely... And it was it was driven by the fact that the stock market was valuing those businesses super highly, even if they weren't profitable and had no sort of short term path to it. It was still valuing those businesses insanely highly. And also, actually, even the profitable ones with like insane multiples. Right. And so when you go all venture capital for giving people money at stupid things, actually, it was worse in the listed market. The valuations were actually crazier in the list. And that's why there were so many SPACs, right? The reason there were SPACs and SPACs made sense was because actually the listed valuations were enough higher than the private market valuations that it made sense to have this vehicle where you can reverse into it where still the sponsor gets an enormous amount of money out of it. And mm. it still made sense for everybody because the listed investors were getting things below the valuation they normally would there. And the private markets, this, they were selling their businesses at higher. It was this sort of discontinuity between listed and private markets. And so for all the craziness you saw in private markets, sort of underlying it was sort of even crazier public markets. Yeah. Perfect storm in a way, right? Yeah. And so then you've got, then the public markets drop off and you're like, oh, right. This thing that I've invested in uh, that like this time last year, the public markets would have snapped up. They're now like, oh, when are you going to be making money? And we're like, uh, well, we didn't build for that. We built for what you were asking for last year. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, and it's really hard to change, right? And yeah. you see people doing it and they, they, you know, they are letting people go, which is the right thing to do because they need to chop their burn down and go, how do we turn ourselves profitable? But you have this crazy thing where, and this is how we started this bit of the conversation, which was like, they weren't trying to be profitable because actually yeah. that wasn't what was being asked of them. Yeah. Uh, and so. Which yeah, is insane. <laughs> it, it, when it when is, we really step back and think about it, you know, I I, I can't help but ever think like, whenever we get on, uh, whenever I get on this topic with anyone, like the one of the first business lessons I learned from my dad, who ran his own building company, was a business should make more money than it spends. That's how a business works. I'm like, yeah, right, yeah. And it's only in recent conversations that this I'm I'm thinking back at that. I'm like, that's insane that we were encouraging businesses to operate and grow and scale without that main principle in mind, but with with, with you know with, with essentially with valuation and exit in mind. Like that was the the, the, the goals that were laid out there, you know, essentially. Yeah, it's totally insane. And I think but we still in terms of swinging too far the other way, we do need to remember that venture capital exists for businesses that aren't going to be profitable for some time until they hit a certain amount of scale, right? That's right. precisely right. what they exist for. That's why you have to give up equity. That's why a bank mm -hmm. won't lend you money because you may or may not make it, and that's not a good mm -hmm. bet for a bank to, to go to go and lend you money. And so you yeah. exist precisely for that gap in the market of you're not going to be profitable for a while, but actually 
if you make it, there's a chance to be hugely profitable at scale. Mm. Uh, and I think the venture capital needs to remember that that's what it exists for. That's what it effectively mm. gets, it gets paid for. You get paid to take some risk, right? If this business is already profitable, they may not need you. They may go, well, actually, we're just going to do this. Mm. Uh, you know, if you're not prepared to take some risk on board. So it was just such a sharp left turn, though. That's the thing, isn't it? Oh. Like that, that, that was the problem. And, and, well, and, yeah. and you know, instead of easing into it, but I, I guess there wasn't really much of a choice because if the money just wasn't there. The money's yeah, and then and then lots of venture capital firms panicked um, and went, oh, we're just not allocating any capital at all. There were a whole chunk of those that just literally yeah. stopped and were like kind of rabbit in the in the headlights, um, you know. And and um, I think there's there's two things. One is they just didn't know what to do, and they were trying to figure out what to do with their existing companies. They were trying to figure out where valuations were going to settle at. Actually, mm. that's a genuine genuine challenge it's a real challenge you're like well I, I knew where kind of where valuations were and maybe they go up a bit or maybe they go down a bit but there was like mm. a discontinuity um and they're like well i don't know where anything is now and so everyone went Ugh, i'm just gonna wait and see where everything settled yeah. down to uh, and then there was a third thing and i can't remember what the third thing was well the, the, the lps were probably uh also oh, well, the, well, right well, so the opposite can't, if they've already committed, they have to, you know, that, you know, they're obliged to come through with their money. But actually, it was, it's exactly that around LPs, which is they're like, oh, right, I was about to go and raise my fund X. Yeah. Um, and given where all my companies are doing, I'm not sure I can run that, raise that fund now. Mm. And so I better allocate the money I've got left a bit more slowly mm. so that, because I don't want to be out in the market. Right, that looks terrible if you're out the market and you can't invest. Well, I better allocate that money a bit more slowly, hope that some of these businesses do well or the market recovers, and then actually someone will give me some, then I'll be able to raise money at the end of it. But there was a chunk of that because it used to be like the standard cycle for venture capital was a fund every four years. Then it got right. to three years, and then people were putting money to work in like a year, 18 months, and they were doing it because they knew they could raise a bigger fund, and they're like, well, market's going up i can raise a bigger fund performance is good why the hell wouldn't i go out doing that and now they're like oh, i don't think i can raise or i'm not sure whether i can raise i need to do everything as slowly as i possibly can while making it appear to outsiders that i'm doing actually allocating capital at exactly the same pace that i was before and so mm. that that's actually the third aspect is that whole other side of it that we talked at the beginning where they're like shit yeah <laughs> need, need my performance yeah 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 it's it look there's so many moving elements to this i don't claim to to fully understand all of the factors at play with as i mean i don't think anyone you know even economists probably you know um there's there's elements that they're out of their their scope of understanding but it, it's really fascinating i think um we need to finish that journey though <laughs> so, so you're doing your due diligence right on my business. my my journey yeah we, well you yeah, said this, yeah. was a, this was a we were <laughs> i know but i'm as trying many, as many sidetracks as possible know, so i'm just trying to help to, you know i'm trying to i'm trying to do some sort of because i'm just i'm just thinking if i was a listener i would want to i would i'm a bit of a completionist i mean like, i want to hear the rest of that so we've got we should get back to that. so okay so yes. what yeah so what, that's what, so you go through that process and what you're trying to do then is nail down you've it's, it's easy to nail down you like the founder right or not i think a lot easier uh, then you're trying yeah. to nail down do you like the 
do you like the business or not? And sometimes that can be hard if it's in an area that you can't do. And if you think, actually, I'm just not going to be able to figure out if this is a good business or not, right? whether actually it's a real pain point, sometimes you just have to say no because you don't know enough to make an informed decision, right? And that can be no fault of the business whatsoever. And there may be someone else out there who understands that industry well, understands that industry better, or has some connections in that industry that is able to go and figure out the things that I can't, that might go, yes, because of that. Doesn't mean I'm a worse investor or they're a better investor or even the other way, or even the other way around. They're just better informed and they can go make an informed decision in a way that I sometimes won't be able to. And, that, and that's if, it, if it's way out of your scope, you're saying, then you're just like, yeah. Well, yeah. And so I've made a commitment recently to a business that support, right? The product is called biotech and pharma, right? Now, it's not a biotech pharma business itself, but it's product for them. I had to figure out how the hell do I figure out if that's a you know thing that they really want or not and I'm probably never gonna know if you knew 100% it would be easy uh, right but you'd have to go and like you like can I figure out to a high enough level of comfort that I'm that I'm happy to make this this investment or not right and again there's never there's always uncertainty in that sometimes there's one specific person or set of people in my network that enabled that that I was like actually and if I hadn't been able to call on them I probably wouldn't have known enough to be able to make an informed decision and yeah. so yeah. it's a, you know it's hard sometimes those things are, are really hard and so yeah it's what's out there is is what they're doing does it have a chance to be a product that is so in need in a big enough market that there is a chance for this big, uh, you know, ideally what I'm looking for is things that have a chance of 100x outcome, right? Now, that doesn't mean that everything's going to have 100x outcome. Obviously, most things, the vast majority aren't, or investing would be like super easy. Um, Mm -hmm. But you need them to have that chance of that outcome, right? Because when when you're investing, effectively what you're doing is most of that value comes from the one that does have that like super high outcomes. So you're buying options, right? Uh, and effectively, you're buying a series of options, right? On a because, as you said, none of them are profitable, right? So the intrinsic yeah. value of every single business today is zero. You're buying options on what yeah. they on what they could become, right? Mm, yeah, so you buy options on what they could become. And the fact that they have to become something they aren't now is why the founders are important, right? Because it's not 100% clear what that's going to be. And then that market size needs to be big enough to justify whatever it is. And so if you've got great founders and you've got a huge potential market, then you can just sometimes you can justify like quite high valuations on things where you would go. That valuation at first glance looks quite high, right? It's higher than this other thing where everything else looks similar. But actually, the potential market size is 10 times bigger, right? Mm. Then actually, it's actually a lot cheaper right mm. um and so the market so all these different factors that are playing in and then you're looking at the valuation and then you're going this you're going this you're going this and you're trying to you're trying to figure it out so uh, um yeah um so i'm in the cafe and like it's guernsey and guernsey is a small place and so people walk in and it's like basically you kind of know 
not everybody, but like it's just one of those things. But I, I've already done it about five times while we've been sat here. Like, and then someone just walked in, like, I'm hi, I'm, on a, I'm doing a podcast. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm like, I'm not tempted to bring one or two of them in to just, yeah, why, say, why not? Yeah, just come and say, come and say hi. Um, yeah. So, like, is there a hard and fast? No. Do I have a framework for the things that I'm looking for that I know that I can go and fact check if I feel I need it? Um, mm. You know, and those things also then change depending on what stage you're at. Like, you know, yeah. uh, no, um, like someone asked me a few days ago for, you know, what questions do I, would you want to see answered in a Series A deck? And I came up with a set of questions. And there's always like another 10 or 20 things that you could say in it. And then, like, I found a comment, another found a comment said, like, oh, are you looking for that? Would you be looking for that in me? And I was like, well, no. You're like, pre-seed, mm. what I'm looking for you is in the, do I think you're going to be able to figure those things out by the time to, to get to yeah. that point? Yeah. I do not expect you to well, Will you still be around by Series A? <laughs> that's yeah, the, that's like, the key, know, things yeah. like, So there were things like, so this is a series a thing and series a is not when i first invest but i might follow on there but there were things like do you know what your typical customer looks like do you know how you fit into the overall environment does a typical customer must look different or all your competitors then right mm -hmm. otherwise you really are doing exactly the same thing lots of different things around that it's like just you're still figuring that that stuff out like when you're in the early thing mm -hmm. anyway you've got your stuff you try and do your dd you're digging around you're using your network you're doing some research you're asking some questions of the the, the founders as well because they can help you as well right mm. so you your job as a founder actually is to go is to realize that the investor doesn't know everything about that industry and to go can i make this as easy for them as possible can yeah. i explain why this matters and evidence why this matters as much as possible and the more you can do that the easier you make it for the investors to say yes right yeah. so part of it i think is if you're a founder, understand that we are not going to know that industry as well as you. You've got your pipeline, right? But we don't really know whether any of that stuff is going to come through or not, right? You, everyone's got a pipeline that looks incredible. Um, like, help us believe. Help us understand and help us believe. That is, so, I don't know. Is that enough on this kind of D? Yeah, I, I think, think so. <laughs> There's some advice that I often give, and you can tell me whether or not this is a good advice or bad advice. But um, when people ask me to, because sometimes I'll look at people's pitch decks as well, they'll ask me to do that as part of my advising. And the thing that I always um, say is uh, write your pitch deck in a way that a, um, a child could understand it, right? Uh, and I'm not saying like a baby or a toddler. I mean like, you know, 10, 16-year-olds, something, something like that, right? Because if, if you can put your pitch deck in front of them and then they can come back to you and tell you exactly what your business does, exactly what problem it solves, and you know all the things that you're saying, if they can understand it, then it's ready for an investor. Because like you just said, they haven't got the time to go in and learn all about the industry. You know about the industry. You're going to be inclined as the founder to overcomplicate, to try and sound impressive, to use language to show that you understand that industry and that sector. But that's not actually the goal. The goal is to communicate the, the basics, the fundamentals. Do you think that's good advice, or have I, have I basically set about two two hundred founders that have the wrong path? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just terrible advice. I can't imagine why anyone ah, would ever listen to anything you say ever again. No, that's um, fair. That's fair. Um, no, yeah. the so I've never thought of it. 
I've never thought of it like that. The way I think about it is that you should be able to explain it concisely and eloquently. And by eloquently, I don't mean big words, but just right. in a way which is like, it's just clear to understand, right? I yeah. think that's really the point that you're trying to get across. The other thing I'll say with pitch decks is, and this is, goes back to the storytelling thing, there should be there should be a clear narrative. Yeah. Right? That yeah, you should 100%. be able to turn each slide into literally one bullet point. And if, and if all you did was read that list of bullet points, you go, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. Right. Uh, rather than, I think they can degenerate into, oh, what about this? Oh, what about this? And then you end up just with a list of all the things that you think you might want someone to know. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is just, if you, there's extra stuff they might want to know, stick them in an appendix or an FAQ mm -hmm. or, you know, like a Notion document you can link to, or even, even if you've got a 10 page slide deck, pitch deck and a 20 page appendix, that's fine. No one has to read the appendix unless there's a specific piece that they're interested in. And actually, they're not expecting an appendix to tell a story. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> so it is that conciseness of getting the story across. Because certainly the first time someone gets a pitch deck, right? let's assume, not for me, but most people, that's their first part, right? That's their first filter. There are people out there that get like, I know there are people out there that get like 80 pitch decks a week and only invest in like five or seven things a year, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't get that many, but it's, you know, it's, but there are people out there that look like they're not even going to read all the way through your pitch deck if they no. don't get it, if they don't get it quickly. If they're like, oh, yeah. what's going on here? It's going to go on the, it's just going to go straight on that no pile. So, um, also, if it sounds like you're bullshitting or, you know, yeah. exaggerating too much. Yes, people want to see that hockey stick and that's, you know, mm. that's fine. But if it sounds like you're making stuff up, that's also bad. So they want to see something that is easy to understand, as you say, ambitious and at least vaguely plausible. And of course, we know not not most things aren't going to hit that hockey stick. But yeah. you want to know there's a chance they can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So my advice wasn't too too detrimental. Yeah, that's good it's to okay. Know. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll be all right. I, I could. I mean, I even said to someone at an event recently. I said, um, if you're really not sure, because we were talking about it and talking about it, I said, if you're really, really not sure, then give your deck to some friends and family if they've got time. Right, give it to them. Ask them to go through it, and then ask them to kind of then repeat back to you their summary of it and if they're getting it all wrong or if they if you notice they focus on certain things more than others and things like that i mean i, I always say this is a good way to learn how to do sales in general anyway right um yeah. to actually actually ask others to pitch back to you the thing that you're pitching because then it shows what they took away from that and what they didn't and you know things like that because i find that as a, as a useful exercise um in that yeah I like that because there's a, you're familiar with the book, The Mum Test, right? You know, yeah. you know that book, which just for anyone else is uh, basically if you say, oh, is this a good idea? And you ask your mum, she say, yeah, of course it's a good idea. Well, most mums, not yeah. sure about mine. Uh, but yeah, the, no, um, not mine. <laughs> yeah. The, but you know, they basically want to be nice. People, your family want to be nice. They want to be kind to so you. Trying to get those yeah. honest answers back is hard. So just going, is this a good pitch deck? It's not getting you anywhere, right? No. The summary is 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 I, I really like it. it's a nice elegant way to do it. And mm -hmm. an analogy to that is a founder once asked me at the end of a call, can summarize my business back to me in kind of three lots, which I liked. I mean, I liked it mainly because it was like 
were you paying attention? Right. <laughs> maybe he was. <laughs> maybe 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 he doesn't normally ask that, and he only asked because he thought I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, maybe you uh, like you were sleeping. I, I, I was like, like eyes are glazed. Over, I'm gradually <laughs> doing this. And it's like, did someone yeah. it back to me? I was like, yeah. uh, you're selling chicken soup to uh, yeah, yeah to old ladies. So he was actually being really dot points. Yes. Yeah, he was actually being really passive aggressive, and you just didn't pick up on it. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that might be what it was. No, I think it was interesting because actually, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, that that might be it. I might have like only just realised what it was on this, on, on this podcast. That's probably what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, good. And uh, there is there is a, a bit of uh, advice going around about pitch um, pitch decks as well that I'm seeing quite a lot of being reshared and sort of this sentiment. And I'm not sure where I land on this. I don't feel something about it doesn't feel right. But there's a lot of talk about really stripping down the pitch deck, taking out any financial data or projections or any numbers and 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 basically saying, hold off on that until you get a meeting. But you don't want to put anything in, into the, the, the deck that's too, um, that promises too much or that maybe highlights any potential weaknesses of the business, especially when it comes to the financials, until you have a chance to give it context. Now, part of me is like, okay, I can kind of understand that maybe you don't want to overwhelm. That's certainly true. You don't want to overindulge. Like you've said, that's what the appendix is for. You don't have to do that. Yes. But to remove that entirely, I'm going to want to see that you've done some research and that you understand what your market is, right? And what your potential is. Like, am I, have, have I, do you know what I mean? Like, are you on the same page there or do you have a different view? I've, I've seen a bit of this. I saw it mentioned once. It might have been you on, on LinkedIn. I don't know. Um, but, um, I think you want to see some evidence that there's a large market, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, however it is that you evidence that sometimes you know the tab numbers are a bit crazy they go because i'm doing something in hr tech the entire value of the whole hr tech market is this it's like well okay that's not not very helpful but you do want to see some evidence that that you know it's hitting a large market and and let's say you're pre-product and pre-revenue right and you want to see evidence of ambition for the for the founder on the part of the founder that they think they can grow this business fast. Yeah. Now, how they evidence that, I kind of don't care. Like on on day one, and and I'm a bit weird anyway because I don't even want to see the pitch deck before I before I make a decision on whether I want to meet you. I also then don't ask you to present from the pitch deck. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Um, I want to see it as like supporting information. So I don't know whether I'm really the best person to. Be yeah, yeah, I guess you're right about I'm this. Not, I but but, I'm, but, I'm, <laughs> but, I'm, but, I'm, but I guess what I'm trying to figure out is what do I actually want to like? Those things are there for a reason, right? Yeah. And the reason they are there is to evidence something in particular. So what you really need to do is evidence those things somehow, mm. right? And if you can evidence those things somehow, how you do it almost doesn't matter. It's like mm. It's an enormous market. I have the ambition to build an incredible business um, that, you know, and it looks some, it's going to look something like this in this space to solve a problem in this area, right? Uh, which is a real problem. Like, kind of, that's the thing you're trying, and then, and I'm a really good founder. We already talked about that's not so easy yeah, to get for yeah. a pitch deck, but like, that's the feel you're trying to get the ambition, the scale. The, the sense of a real problem to be solved and the right person to do it. How you get that message across to me, I actually don't care, but those are the things that I want to see. Mm. So at some point in 
in the when you're working with a founder uh, for, to, to, to come to an agreement uh, are you expecting to see them present um forecasts are you expecting to see an insight into the financial state of the business as it stands and where they expect it to be or is that something that you're not as interested in as in, in everything else we talked about because i know a lot of founders get nervous about that aspect of, of presenting um i don't typically ask someone to present a financial model mm. sometimes if they're very early i won't even look at it because they're just kind of kind of if it's trying to make yeah. stuff uh, in the nicest possible way you're trying to make stuff up and yeah it is and, and, and i think and i, and I think that's what i mean out. yeah and i think that's what i mean by i think you know a lot of fans i speak to are nervous about that it's because where a lot of the fans i speak to are that early stage and they're just like well what the fuck am i meant to do am i just going to make it up and i'm like yeah <laughs> like, you know, I mean, kind of, they want it yes uh, yeah i think once once you've got some revenue you should start to be minimally be able to evidence you can understand some unit economics and some drivers right that you know yeah. i spent a pound here this comes out you know I, I put a pound in for the you know per click and then this number get demos it actually costs me some money to do a demo right that doesn't for example yeah, of course they're, they're educated this, guesses. all the way yeah. all the way through blah 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 and then those numbers come out and actually it looks like this this you know it's helpful to know they understand like what what the drivers are for their business once they've got to that point because actually if you understand it well you can make good you'll be able to make better informed decisions um yeah. uh and and i think you need to you need to have confidence that they understand it well enough that both both that they're using the information to make good decisions but also actually they can just manage their cash flow frankly yeah that they go they're making sensible decisions that they go okay i can hire now this is what the impact on my runway will be those kinds of things and yeah. it's more about actually it's not necessarily so much about what those specifics are as in they just kind of get how it works so they're not suddenly going to run out of money like three months before they thought they were because they they weren't paying attention or they didn't like they didn't get it yeah, or they or they like uh, created the wrong formula in their spreadsheet or some shit. Like yeah, that. and so yeah, like, yeah. and and it just gives you more confidence that if the, if it doesn't yeah. grow quite as fast, that they'll actually go. Okay, I now know I was going to make another higher now. Maybe I'm not going to make that higher yet. I'll push it back a bit until hopefully the growth has got back on track. All those kinds of things. So you know those things are tools for good decision making. Right, that's yeah. exactly yeah. why people have them. So I think again it's more like why do you want to see a financial model you want to see it for when you see it you want to see it for a specific reason that they just know how to manage and run their own business and manage their own cash flow because it's just obviously yes obviously important yeah and and i suppose like you said to some degree to, to be to, to make educated guesses not not entirely sort of putting their finger up in the air you want to see a certain level of of uh of realism from them i suppose right um, the, the... Well, i think what you want yeah, actually is in those things is you want to see what the ambitious thing looks like right because you want to be aiming for this growth yeah but you can't you can't plan for that growth you want yeah. to go well if i grow quite quite well but not like this then my model still makes sense right yeah then if you so you want to have you almost need to have two right you need to have it's I'm funny you say that because I, I always recommend three 
Yeah, <laughs> well, I think you're aiming for this, but then yeah. what am I going to do if it's this? And frankly, if you're flatlining or it's, you're not doing, you don't need a financial model for that because you're not going to raise any money again anyway. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Unless you're already, if you're already profitable, that's another matter, right? It's different. But um, you don't need the financial model for the scenario where you're not going to be able to raise any money anyway, right? Because you just, yeah. it's wasting, it's wasting your time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't, you're not getting anywhere with that anyway. But there, well, I've got reasonable growth. I ought to be able to raise some more money. I should have a good chance of it. Uh, I need to be able to plan sensibly for that because most everyone should be aiming for this, mm. but they should be planning for. They need to be planning for this, particularly in this market environment where it's actually that little bit harder to go out and yeah. and raise the funds. You can't just assume, oh, somebody will give me money if I need it anyway, because it doesn't mm. work like that anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I, I always I always advise do three versions, do absolute worst case, do absolute best case, and then do one in the middle. And the the, yeah. the, the, the middle and the, the best case are the ones that you share. The worst case is what you have to keep you in check every single day you know yeah um, as, as, a, as a solid reminder of, of where, what you want to avoid and ideally if your worst case financial model is still workable then you know you've got a good a good a good model on your hands like if you can still survive in the worst case then it's like okay well good you've got a good business but it's very rare that in like early stage venture that you've got something that can survive in that in that yeah. worst case right because realistically yeah unless something significant has changed in your business in that you've gone i figured out another product or pivot that makes that makes sense mm. that i think i can sell to investors right this is the only exception to that in that worst case in early stage venture realistically you're not going to be around anymore you're not going to find someone who's going to going to give you money and so i think most of the time certainly in early stage there's very little point having the, the, the worst case model oh, because okay. that's that's my yeah my my view no that's fair enough like you said it's just it's just something you're spending time on i suppose isn't it so i might i'll adjust that i'll say i, I had it from good authority that actually just <laughs> just focus on person. these two yeah yeah exactly uh, yeah okay yeah by the way now, a bit of a random tangent advice. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. I think no. I think you're on something. Um, it's only just occurred to me that that picture behind you is of a sloth. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know it's completely random to point that out, but I just it just occurred to me like halfway through that conversation. Yeah. Oh no, no. Go back sloth. up. Go back up. What is it? Yeah, it is a sloth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hanging from some sort of tree tree branch or something like that. Why is there tinsel up? Is it Christmas? Oh, it's the carnation, isn't it? Oh no no sorry you were just saying it's for the um uh, uh for liberation do you know what? i don't know why the tinsel is up i wonder what they look because this there's this of the, the like the lights here as well yeah it must I be for when, liberation though, right i don't know i wonder whether they just haven't taken them down since christmas <laughs> it's so lazy and guernsey i mean i can't, i quite like them i like them i i think like if it was up to me i would have people leaving uh, ignore the environmental impact but i would mm. leave the christmas lights up all year i love them if they're that much fun why don't we just have them all the time yeah yeah no i agree you're not, allowed, you're not allowed to have fun all the time you're no, only no, no. allowed to have fun at very specific times well i mean in fairness if you had fun all the time then it would just become normal and then it wouldn't be fun anymore so i think that's the idea of it right so you've got to be miserable some of the time to really enjoy it yeah okay all right we've solved that 
<laughs> but um no i agree i like i like christmas decorations uh, a lot but i don't like that there is there are there are types of christmas decorations that like really go on to the the area of tacky that like you know especially tinsel actually tinsel is the thing i'm not a huge fan of i like lights i like i like like you know the the almost like the organic looking decorations you know so like the, you know the, the greenery like that kind of thing but there's there's certain ones that are a bit like i don't know make me feel a bit physically unwell i like the tackier the better the big oh, really? the, Christmas, the flushing reindeers i i love it they see yeah, i'm okay with that i'm okay with that but it's just it there's i don't know what i don't i think it's just tinsel i don't like i think that's what it is is if i just see tinsel like on that picture like if you just see tinsel like draped over i don't know what there's something about that it's if that is a christmas decoration for me like that's lazy christmas decoration i'm i'm gonna go, I mean? i'm gonna go while we're doing this i'm gonna get another copy and i'm gonna find out here we go yeah yeah definitely you're gonna follow <laughs> me around i'm not gonna go yeah find yeah out. I'm going to ask. I don't know whether you'll be able to hear me because I've got headphones on. They won't be able to hear you. But I'm going to go oh, to okay. I'm going to show them to people. Yeah. Hello. I'm recording a podcast and I just thought they might like to see you. I hope you don't mind. You're going to be famous soon. Not that famous, really. Uh, first of all, we can have a decaf cappuccino. But while we're here, we've got a question. The tinsel in there, the lights are, what are they there for? Because there's like tinsel and like some like fairy lights. Are they there all the time? Okay. Cool. Thank you. There we go. What did she say? I didn't catch the last bit. Basically, it's it's not specifically Christmas, but they are there all the time, basically. Oh right, so, okay, fair enough. Yeah. I suppose I'm, yeah, tins, tins and fairy watch, lights. You can watch them make a coffee. There we go. Well, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to. Um, I don't. We haven't got them to sign a release or anything, so I don't know if <laughs> if they're I mean, happy being filmed. Well, they're going to have to be, aren't they? So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we solved that mystery and the mystery we of have, the sloth as well. We have solved the mystery um, of the sloth. I'm going to pay for my coffee. You can't see me while I'm doing that. There we go. Okay, and I'm back. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, you said you like random things, so I thought I would include some uh, some throw in some additional randomness yeah yeah well look i mean it's just the way i see it is these 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 conversations should be just like you know i i, I love i love watching podcasts when it feels like you're sat at the table and you're in, yep. you know what i mean like you're part of the conversation whereas yeah. when they're really overly formalized like you just can't imagine yourself there it like pulls you out of it a bit it's like you know like i can't imagine myself sat on the sofa next to i don't Thank know you. brad pitt and angelina jolie on a late night talk show because it's all really formal, you know, in talk shows. So what's going on? You trying I was to show you the coffee. Oh, I was showing you the coffee. And, and then I realized I was holding the coffee immediately above my laptop in order to be able to do it. <laughs> and that was probably not the smartest thing that I've ever done. Um, okay. It did just about survive. Uh, it would yeah. have been obviously funnier for the podcast if um, <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid I'm not. I mean, much as I'm, you know, a martyr to my art. Uh, I still yeah, wasn't yeah, gonna. Bit... Uh, I wasn't gonna kill the uh, kill the laptop. Um, to be honest, it's still yeah. it's still smarter than what I thought you were doing, which is trying to get me to either smell or drink the coffee. And I, I didn't want to break it to you that that's not unfortunately how this it's, technology works. But is that not how it works? No, not, not quite. Yeah, no. no. But it's, it looked like it was when the dog was looking at the picture of the sloth. It knew it. Your dog knew it was a sloth. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the aim of these the, these. Um, 
these episodes, I guess, which is why I'm even sort of hesitant to refer to it as a podcast, because for me, podcasts, like, first of all, I'm only putting it on YouTube as a video. I haven't put it on okay. any audio platforms yet. I probably will when there's more episodes to, to release. But yeah, like I just like that idea of, of you know, someone feeling like they're sitting down and they're just kind of, you know, at the table, you know, in the coffee shop with you or whatever, and just listening to this conversation. I like that idea, I think. And, and you know, for it to flow a bit more organically, like people actually talk, you know yep. what I mean? Like, rather than, you know, like, like I'm, I don't know, an interviewer or something like that. Like, of course, I'm going to ask questions because you're the guest and I'm, I'm, I'm a curious person. But like, you know, not not to that sort of level of like I'm inter an interrogation or something, you know. I just think that doesn't feel I don't know. I just don't like that as much. Well that's I just think me. You're you're doing a few of these, right? I think people would like to know more about you. I'm gonna ask you some questions now. Okay. I think you're completely wrong, but okay. <laughs> well, okay, maybe maybe just I want to know, and I'm gonna maybe I just want to take the heat off myself. No, 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 that, that's fine. No, that's fine. Ask me. But I want I yeah, want yeah. you to tell, like basically, tell me something which you like. Almost nobody knows about you. Can we? Oh well, well, there's a lot. <laughs> so that's easy. Right. You've you've nothing, actually nothing, very like, easy. Let's let's let's, get, oh, let's narrow it down then. Nothing that will get you arrested. Oh, oh okay. Well, that's. Is there uh, anything left? Is there anything left? I uh, don't really. Uh, no, no, there is. Um, um, yeah. So I'm not. I don't have any English blood in me, which is uh, okay. something not a lot of people read. And you wouldn't guess that looking at my complexion either. Like, but um, my 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 mother's from. Uh, she's an Algerian Jew, and my father okay. is a, a Northern Irish Protestant. So figure that one out. Um, yeah. So, so technically, no English blood in me, um, and and so yeah, that's also technically by by some Orthodox um, uh, uh, Jew stand viewpoints that would make me Jewish just by birth, even though yep. we're not a practicing Jewish family. But it is something that I've recently started investigating a bit more, and I actually got in touch with my local. Uh, congregation there's a liberal jewish congregation here in eastbourne it's only a small place there's not a synagogue here but there yeah. is like a small community and they're liberal um and progressive in the sense that they're not necessarily devout right so they are they have progressive views on on spirituality and on religion and things like that which is right up my alley because i consider myself agnostic uh on most days and you know atheistic on other days um but jewish as, as a heritage so so yeah i'm looking to to maybe learn a bit more about my my heritage and you know a bit more about the culture and the religion um really as a celebration of my past so that that's probably something that very few people know about. that's interesting how did the algerian jew and the northern island protestant meet and it sounds like walks into a pub would be a joke i did actually for a split second i think you were about to tell a really like bad <laughs> like a joke in really poor taste um but yeah it might have just been a really bad joke uh, yeah maybe maybe yeah yeah um how did they meet um my mum told me about this recently because i actually asked about this recently uh, in a pub in a pub in but they really did walk into a pub they really did walk into a pub yeah so they met yeah. they met in a pub uh i think yeah uh, to, my mum was here visiting um from france i think she was living in paris at the time 
so yeah, Algerian French. So they, they, you know, my mum was young when they moved from Algeria to France. Um, yep. uh, born, born and raised in Marseille. Then she was studying, I think, in Paris. And then she came for like a, a brief trip um, to, to the UK, met my father in a pub. And they sort of head over heels for one another. Um, and, and just, you know, my dad like asked her to marry marry him straight away and like all this kind of stuff like as it was back in the, the 60s or whatever um yeah so a bit of a whirlwind you know romance um unfortunately they, they they're no longer together i mean that they separated when okay. i was younger but but um Sorry. but that's how they well no it's fine it, 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 so no, the, no broke out with me. <laughs> so the the um the interesting thing there is that both of those religions can be quite fierce about who their kids yes. end up partnering with yeah, and yeah so yeah. i'm interested to know like how that went with each of the families um not well uh initially yeah not well so i mean i suppose from the protestant side as long as you weren't marrying a christian you were okay so as long um, as it wasn't a catholic basically you were yeah you were yeah yeah oh. sorry catholic yeah that, that was that was basically the from from what i can understand of that side of the family they were like oh yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know she's not catholic yeah okay fine um and then from i suppose the other side i think there was from my understanding of it there was some um disappointment i guess with my mother in the fact that she hadn't married a nice little Jew, jewish boy you know um especially one that was sort of you know local or one that they had introduced there was a little bit more traditionalism there but my mum i think had already made clear by that point in her life that she wasn't going to be uh you know that she was part of a newer generation um still yep. you know fairly fairly reserved but 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 very clearly that you know her parents understood that her and her siblings like they were part of a new generation of of kids that were not going to be embracing in in, in its entirety um the the religions that they that their families brought to the country and so on like you know whether that's jew muslim whatever and that there was kind of this new new way happening i mean it was you know the hippie age and you know things were, were things were different and i think they saw the writing on the wall there so while they were a bit disappointed initially i think that, you know after a while it was fine and then they welcomed you know i remember the relationship even though it was you know very brief in my my childhood when my family were together i think they broke up when i was like five or six um i do remember my grandparents on on both sides getting along very well with one another and and all the you know the family and so on and being very supportive of one another so yeah it uh, wasn't a bigger deal um that if anything it, it's and again as long as because traditional jews as long as my mum didn't marry a muslim so it would have been you know what I mean? it would have been the catholic to the protestant of the muslim to the jew like that's what it would have been that's where a problem would have been um interesting so i had the to, to bring that back into my my history i was brought up orthodox jewish um, oh, really? Okay. and realized i didn't believe and mm. i've had I've had that conversation with my parents i'm an atheist mm. and then so they were expecting me to you know eventually when i settled down to that the person wasn't going to be jewish and then she was by chance <laughs> now, also, also not practicing but yeah. they were like, they just, three they couldn't believe their luck. They couldn't believe their their luck, and they still kind of didn't get the luck because yeah. we're still not practicing and whatever. Yeah, but yeah. they were expecting one thing, and they were like, "Oh, right." And it, it actually counted against her in my mind because I was like, "No, now I'm doing what my parents <laughs> now I'm doing yeah. what my parents want, and that that can't be a good thing." Yeah, it's interesting. Like, it's funny. I I just become really aware of the fact as well that we have um, we've now become 
very stereotypical in the sense that we're we're both investors, we're both talking about business, and we're both Jewish. I don't think we could be any more stereotypical unless both of us owned, you know, a jewelry shop. I don't think we could be ticking it, ticking any more uh, of the the author, uh, the, the typical stereotypes. <laughs> so I guess I, I'm, I'm Jewish racially, but I'm an atheist. I am actually an atheist. I do. Yeah, yeah. No, like, likewise, I, I consider myself an atheist as well. Yeah. I actively believe that there's no god uh and mm. so um yeah i don't know quite how much that makes me hit the stereotype or not but <laughs> yeah 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 uh, <laughs> and yeah that that also you know there have been various difficult conversations with parents over the years as you might as you might imagine mm. yeah yeah but um it's funny because i mean th th there's something about the jew i mean i suppose islam is quite similar in the sense that there's there's um a huge amount of uh culture association i mean it's 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 not just a religion right it, it's a culture um and you hear that a lot when when people talk about uh about the jewish faith and islam as well but especially in, with judaism and i'm always interested to when i speak meet, meet with other jews about how they feel about or, or at least jews by 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 technicality right uh so less by pra by practicing like like ourselves like, do you are any aspects of you? Do you, any aspects of your life kind of involve uh, you know, Judaism in some degree more of maybe a traditional side of things, or is it like, or is it just is there no real place in it in your life because you're an atheist who just like no, I'll cut it out. Uh, so I do like all the culture and the traditions and all those kinds of pieces, hmm. but I also feel that. If I go to synagogue, for example, and participate in them, I'm almost it almost feels like I'm not I'm not treating the religion with respect because I'm there and I'm saying the words, but I don't believe them. That actually That's really interesting. Really, you say that that mm. that to me feels disrespectful to the to the religion. Uh, right. And so I don't really, you know, if I if I go, you know, I've got some permits and things coming up for nephews and that kind of stuff. That I'll yeah. go to and I will I'll say the words because I'm there and I'm expected to be there and and yeah. say the words but that's basically it because otherwise yeah I, I don't want to disrespect the religion and I, I don't have any bad feelings about the religion either hmm. there wasn't anything specifically negative about it I think one of the nice things about the Jewish religion, I know we've got, and we're not talking about anything that we were talking about about half an hour ago. It's my fault. I changed, I changed the subject, started asking you questions. Was that, yeah, yeah. like, Judaism is basically pretty much the only sort of major Western religion where you go to heaven even if you're not Jewish, right? Uh, yeah. And while I don't, well, you know, and so, which is why Jewish people don't go out trying to convert people. It's like, actually, anybody else, live a good life. That's it. Fine. You can go to, yeah. You know, give a good ethical life. That's fine. You can go, you can go to to heaven rather than do what we do, or you will burn in hell. That to me is like, really, that this is a. Uh, and then everybody's saying that it's like this one yeah. or this one. It's like, well, come on. Uh, so yeah. I, I think I like there are aspects of the religion that I like as because of that because they're like actually no you don't you don't have to be mm. like we're not really it's not like we're special and only we can receive this like special wonderful treatment from god actually everyone can doesn't mm. matter whether you're actually jewish or muslim or 
Christian or what you are or atheist or anything mm. live a good life and then and then you're fine and so I do there are aspects of the religion I quite like now that that doesn't mean I'm gonna I can't make myself believe it if I don't believe it I don't yeah, fundamentally yeah, yeah, yeah. believe it but yeah yeah no I agree with you and I think that's what but it's interesting that you mentioned about that feeling of of if you were to participate by going to synagogue now that you don't believe or or just because you don't believe no you would feel in some way like you were disrespecting the religion that is exactly word for word what i have expressed over the years and why i've always been hesitant even though i'm i'm quite keen why i've been hesitant to to attend um any form of of uh, you know service or, or whatever um for that exact reason and i and i was literally on the phone to the head of this uh, congregation the other day um to sort of like almost like a pre-interview kind of thing you know about joining um and i and he was like you know what questions would you like to ask and that was the first one i was like look i'm worried that i really want to go i don't believe in god i don't believe in any god i i am you know by all, you know for all intents and purposes i'm an atheist um but i have a deep interest i want to learn about my my heritage i have a deep amount of respect for for the traditions and the practices that are involved uh during during service and so on um but i'm concerned that i'd be dis disrespectful in the process and it was like absolutely not it's like it couldn't be further from the truth if anything the fact that you want to do it the fact that you want to participate um regardless of your belief shows it is the ultimate amount of respect that you're giving because you are you are you have the desire to learn you have the desire to be there and be with your 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 peers and all that and you know he sort of framed it entirely differently to me um and 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 i walked away from that feeling really good about it he also i mean it also helped but they don't like i said they don't have a synagogue here he's like so so even if that even if we did it wouldn't matter anyway he said but but we don't anyway so you you know we're, we're just we're hiring a room we're coming in we say a few prayers we do a few things but um and yeah there's some scripture reading but a lot of it is also about the social aspect you know so it's like it's a bit more casual anyway um, but even if it was in synagogue, it wouldn't. You wouldn't be being disrespectful. And that that made me feel a lot better about the decision to to go for it. I think. So, I don't know if your rabbi would be the same. <laughs> so I, I wonder. Yeah, and so I guess it's a question of what the expectations are when you're there, right? And some of them, they've quite clearly set out those expectations, and you're fine. You know, I yeah. think certainly. I, so yeah i don't know actually is the answer now when i go and, and apply it back i think you know there are lots of people that just obviously even at an orthodox synagogue there's people there with various different levels of belief right yeah there'll probably yeah. be people there that don't believe but go just because they go every week because they went every week because their parents went every week and it's just it's just that, like we do in, in in every religion right yeah right and there'll be people that, that believe a lot and then there'll be the you know the rabbi that's that's running it that will obviously hopefully uh believes a lot but yeah. they i guess they probably also understand that, that that stood around them sat around them are people with varying levels of belief mm. and i guess are comfortable with that but it's actually you're right it's hard to know without directly asking Just them asking the yeah. the question now look i don't really feel any need to go generally anyway i'm comfortable with yeah. where you know there isn't one in guernsey anyway and we wouldn't have, you know if, if it was important to us we wouldn't we wouldn't be living here right it um, is, of course. But, um yeah 
it's it's interesting if i got to that mm. point you know, actually what is your expectation of those around you how do you feel if someone is here and knows that they 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 don't believe and mm. I, I i would be interested to hear the answer to that question from from like an orthodox rabbi and see whether they feel the same way yeah. as the the one that you spoke to yeah and that's the, the that's the point there's a differentiation there that there is uh, it's an orthodox uh, a mindset versus maybe a more progressive liberal mindset and also not act technically a rabbi but someone who is representing the jewish community so yeah. maybe less pressured there so i don't know maybe i've just been a bit lucky but yeah that was a bit of a rabbit hole uh, but, but that's what you get for asking <laughs> i didn't want right. to uh, give a boring answer to that question i was I once set up oh. a stall to sell lemonade. Like, you know what I mean? Like, fucking hell. That was a good answer. Uh, <laughs> I, wonder how, I wonder how many subscribers you've lost in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, like all of my, yeah, all of my Orthodox Jewish, uh, you know, really, really solid uh, Jewish believer um, subscribers. I don't have any subscribers, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, this is, this is sure the second did, episode. Yeah. I think it was eight the last time I looked, but, but a lot of more views, but that's not not the same so and, um, and so how's this episode gone how you expected it to go um is this is this an, another question that um on the list well, this, um, is, this is slightly meta question right i guess yeah 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 uh, i mean yeah yes and no i mean i don't really know how they're going to go that's kind of the point right i don't know where they're going to go and it, so it's like discovery you know which is what for me a good conversation is it's a it's a it's about you know, you never know. You're trying to remember things that you might want to go back to, but ultimately, you kind of go with the flow. Like, if it's a good conversation, there's it just naturally progresses onto the next top next topic. If you're sitting there planning it, then it's not. It's probably not going to be a good conversation, is it? Like, yeah, and I, I, did, I did kind of deliberately want to take it off topic because we had an interesting conversation. We were having an interesting conversation, but it was kind of like more standardy type. Type yeah, 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 yeah. Type conversation, and I was like, "Well, let's see if we can find out something about you, and then I'll answer it." And people actually get a feel for uh, each of us as people over and above just, "Oh, I think this, yeah. and I think this, and I think this." And I thought that might be, might be. Interesting. Another interesting thing about me is you may not know this, but I am currently wearing headphones. Now you probably can't see them because they are camouflaged, but I think that is another interesting fact. Um, uh, I just throwing that out there was so was that was a joke yeah <laughs> that was a okay. joke. all right okay we're both need to work on our stand-up routines that's definitely <laughs> the case um at least yours wasn't inappropriate it wasn't like the headphones yeah it was yeah, yeah yeah it wasn't as risky as a setup as your one but um but yeah, uh, um, yeah, but yeah. The, the, okay. the terrible thing is that for anyone what like who has watched the last um episode i made the exact same joke but it landed a lot better um okay well, time, i think so. maybe, like maybe that could be your it's thing. probably in the delivery you, make, you need to make the same that that's like the key thing that you need to make the same really bad jokes for like every episode for the next 100 episodes that's a bit harsh i didn't think it was that bad but all right yeah. <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure it was like much better last time <laughs> all right i'll try and make a thing of it uh, i'm just doing the same one again and again um yeah all right, cool. Well, look, we, we, we might as well wrap it up now. We've got um, a couple of minutes left, and then uh, I've got to do it again. I've got to rush off and then jump into another meeting. How's the rest of your day looking? Have you got quite a, a packed day today, or are you trying I to enjoy the, got, the celebrations? Uh, I've got one meeting, 
I've got a call with a founder that we're just, uh, it's actually not one that I've invested in, but call with one that um, we're just going to have a chat about uh, his business. Then I'm, it's my youngest son's birthday. I didn't, oh, I probably didn't get to that bit because I didn't leave my full story. I've got four boys. Uh, my youngest oh, yeah. one yeah. Is, is nine today. And I am taking him and some friends to go and see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Oh, awesome. So that will okay. be fun. And really, I like it as well. I just pretend yeah, yeah. that I am, I'm pretending that, oh, God, I've got to go because my kids want to go. But actually, I'm I'm looking forward to it as well. Oh, the, so. the first Guardians movie is like one of my, my, my favorite movies. It's really, really good. Yeah. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah, that. that should be fun. So that's my evening. What about you? Do you say four boys? uh yeah i've got four boys they're trying to kick us out now because they're, they're closing in here oh they're okay. just telling me but yes i do have four boys tell me your evening and then we're just gonna we're basically i think uh yeah no fine more meetings walk the dog do dinner attempt to get the son to do his homework uh get the baby and the wife to sleep because they both need sleep so they're knackered uh yeah and uh and then that's it probably watch some nonsense on youtube so just nothing particularly exciting i'm afraid yeah but uh all right cool well look i'll let you go i'll let the shop close but it's yeah really lovely speaking we'll have to do this again because i feel like there was still so much more we could have talked about and we just yeah we so yeah next time we'll go into go into a different tangent maybe um cool. but hopefully hopefully that um the founders that watched this have, have had some useful insight i think so um there's definitely some stuff that is interesting about sort of what goes on behind the scenes and what you do that can be i think really useful for at least for people to prepare or to set expectations up when it comes to it and then of course you know very important conversation about jewish heritage which is always important um so yeah and, and i shared your details and I'll, I'll obviously include all your information in the description as well of this video the, of the full video so anyone who wants to come and follow you on uh linkedin and and anything else uh, and, and your website and so on they can they can have a look at all your info there so i'll be sure Brilliant. to include all that um cool uh yeah unless there's anything you wanted to say to anyone watching like uh, is there anything you want to sign off with uh no other than thank you for listening okay cool that's it that will be the all right. Be the all right thank you so much mark uh, we'll catch up again cheers, very great. soon and uh yeah take care have a good day i enjoyed that thank you bye-bye cheers bye-bye thank you for watching and or listening please like subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below